Hello and welcome to Rednets, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. A 1-0 defeat at Anfield to contend with, but the Reds go through, courtesy of two goals scored at the San Siro over the two legs. Um, I mean, Steve, there's a sense of disappointment um, mixed with, you know, a bit of euphoria. We've gone through, we're through to the quarterfinals. But um, I find quite interesting, Cop said after the the match in his pre-Brighton presser, um, that he, well, his reaction was a bit different. He was sort of, you know, looking at the bigger picture and gone, you know, we've gone through, this is great. But the players were a bit, a bit dejected uh, in the dressing room, a bit disappointed about the defeat at Anfield. And that's understandable. But I suppose, you know, my question is, you know, were we actually that bad at Anfield? Because I've had a look at the, the stats um, after the game and it, you sort of look at, you know, we've perhaps not dominated possession. We've got 62% possession. We've had double their shots, um, one less on target you know there's obviously been a few times we've hit the post but if you look at sort of the xg stats as well you know it, it seemed we were the more dominant side so i mean is that just my imagination no i mean if 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 the goal posts were like an inch both ways it would have been 2-1 you know salah hit the post twice so and you know, Latoro's goal is absolutely world-class. You know, you won't see many goals like that this year. You'll see probably a few of them outfield, hopefully uh, the other net. But, um, you know, yeah, you can't help stuff like that. That's a brilliant footballer scoring a brilliant goal. And Inter, would, you know, they, they deserve to get a result at Anfield. They played well. Liverpool didn't really deserve to lose the game though if, if, if you sort of catch my drift there but that being said you know we, we all played them at the San Siro we arguably outplayed them at Anfield but you know as I say Latoro's strike you can't take anything away from him. that is brilliant um, it's just a shame obviously that Salah came whiskers from having a, a brace himself it could have been 2-1 very easily to Liverpool um, which would have been quite harsh on Inter going back in with a 4-1 aggregate loss. Um, but at the end of the day, Liverpool are through. Um, people will fail to recognise this. I feel like the Italian league doesn't really get the respect that it probably deserves. But Inter, even without Lukaku, is, you know, they're one of the best teams in the world. Uh, they're certainly playing like the best team in Italy at the moment. Uh, you can make a case for Juventus, who was down to 10 form recently. But, you know, Inter undeniable that's the Italian champions right there you know that's a good team we've eliminated and over the course of the two legs which you know yeah, Klopp said time to time again when we've played one leg and there's one to play he said it's half time he treats these these two games as a 180 minute game and you know over the course of the two games we won so it doesn't matter obviously the players aren't used to losing They're certainly not used to losing at Anfield you've seen the frustration in Van Dijk in the last 10 minutes where he was 70 yards up the pitch where he, where he normally would be. And he was trying to steal the ball back to get something going because obviously he doesn't want to lose at Anfield. But, you know, these kinds of things happen and Inter are a very good team, but we're the ones that have gone through and, you know, there's there's only seven other teams left now not alongside us. So, end of the day, we're the ones that celebrate. And it's good to see the players were dejected in a way. You know, they've got that hunger and desire. Even though we got through, they're disappointed that they weren't able to win in front of the fans. And that is good to see. And it just bodes well for the next round for us. Absolutely. I mean, you've mentioned a lack of respect for the Serie A and Inter Milan in particular. I'm going to come back to you on that momentarily. Um, I just want to quickly make a pit stop at the Van Dyke moment and the, the type the stunning Lotaro Martinez goal um, because there's been a lot of debate about uh, how Van Dyke sort of approached 
that scenario, Pete. Um, there's been a lot of criticism from pundits, actually. Um, personally, I, I kind of thought he, you know, did the right thing in that moment. You know, sort of, if you look at that sort of situation, you, you've got a, it's a one in a hundred, you know, if you're going to, you know, he's done the maths there and gone, you're going to have to score a stunning goal to beat me, to beat the keeper uh, from here you know, roll the dice, see what happens. But, you know, I think I've seen a lot of people sort of saying you should have, you know, closed down the space a lot quicker. Where do you stand on this? I think, yeah, what, what you said is probably right in that, you know, he said, I fancy Alisson for me, you know, if you have a shot, Alisson Becker's behind me. So, and he's not like he's ran out the way, he still stood there, put his leg out. He admittedly could have dived in, but if he dives in and he gets turned and then he'll, Everyone's using that video for the rest of his life, aren't they? It's just when you're at that higher level, every goal you can't attribute, you can't have a goal without attributing some blame to someone. And obviously, Van Dyke's the one who gets it on this occasion, which, you know, fair or not, that that's just what it was. And I think you know when you're Van Dyke, everything he, he does defensively gets microanalyzed, doesn't it? And because people want to be the one who says, "Ah." Oh, I spotted Van Dyke on his decline before anyone else and all that type of stuff. So that's all it is, really. I think, you know, he, yes, he could have done a little bit better, but, you know, as I say, if he does dive in and gets turned, then it's a lot worse than what actually happened. And, you know, he's he's still a fantastic defender. I don't think that changes anything in anyone's mind. And it's, it's one goal. And as I say, you know, you're back on Allison most times to save it. And, you know, when he's faced up against Martinez twice, and he's ran away and given up on him. He might think, you know, he won't have the confidence to smash it from 40 yards up. So, you know, he's, he's caught him a bit by surprise. It's a great finish. And, you know, that gets past most keepers and most defenders anyway. So I don't know why it can be his fault. And you can't just say, well done to, to Lautaro Martinez for the, for the great finish. Absolutely. And I think, you know, over both legs, certainly there were more than tough opponents. You know, it took... Um, you know, the substitute changes in the San Siro to turn the game around to get us two goals that got us through the tie. I mean, Steve, you mentioned a lack of respect. Do you feel that Inter got the credit they deserve for their performance over two legs? It almost seems the perception outside of Merseyside is that Liverpool seemed to get an easy draw, but Inter were anything but that. And I'd, I'd be almost inclined to argue that we've eliminated one of the better teams in the competition. Yeah, anyone that's watched even just a rash of Italian football over the last year, I mean, Inter have been relentless. In Italy, they've just been blowing teams away. They just, no one can get near them. I mean, you know, Juventus for the longest time were, you know, winning title upon title upon. They were turning the Italian league into the Scottish league, with all due respect to the Scottish league. Um, it was just becoming easy for them and Inter, you know, they slowly built and they created this wonderful team, which is pretty much still fully assembled. And obviously they've lost uh, Lukaku, which, you know, you can't really ignore the fact that they've lost Lukaku, but they've kept, they've still got all of the key players there. You know, you're looking at the likes of Latoro, you're looking at Perisic, you're looking at a very strong defence, world-class defender in Handanovic, Brozovic, Chalanoglu, who's a, a set-piece specialist. There's just, there's so many ways that Inter can get you. And I think you're right in saying that we've eliminated one of the stronger teams. I mean, I've, yeah, I mean, you don't get to this stage of the competition without being a decent team. But yeah, I mean, there's def we definitely could have got an easier draw. Um, and I think Inter proved themselves over the 118 minutes that they had a decent side. Um, I think if you sit if you sit down and watch both games, though, you will see that Liverpool are the superior side. 
Uh, but Inter definitely caused a lot of problems and it wouldn't have been impossible for Inter to, you know, pull something off. I mean, you know, they, they were inches away from scoring at the San Siro. Had they got that goal, I mean, we'd have been going to extra time and who knows what would have happened because, I mean, for all the attacks that we had, we didn't get one in, we didn't get one to actually hit the net at Anfield, but they managed to do so. So, you know, tough, tough opponents. They'll do well in Italy again this season. I'm sure they'll, They'll keep pushing for the title as they go. But, um, yeah, I think you're right in saying we've eliminated one of the better teams. And I think that should be really kind of like send a warning to whoever we get in the next round. It's nice to see the two Milan clubs um, sort of back up to their usual tricks uh, domestically uh, and abroad. We certainly wish them the best of luck with their seasons. Um, two moments that sort of stood out um, in the intergame um for the wrong reasons, where Salah's um, missed chances struck the, struck the post twice, it would have turned out to be a very uh, different game if we got those chances. And of course, not forgetting Jean Matip's um, early effort. Um, the, the, the perception seems to be that Mane has rightly flourished um, since his return from the African Cup of Nations. I've just got the stats here five goal contributions in eight appearances, spread out across 572 minutes, which works out at roughly one goal contribution every 114 minutes. Pretty spectacular. The thing is, though, if you look at Salah's stats, it's not as bad um, as, as I initially thought it would might have been. Again, five goal contributions in eight appearances. Admittedly, there's two um, spot kicks involved in there. But if you look at the, you know, spread out over 680 minutes, one goal every 156 minutes, which is far from disastrous uh, for a forward. I mean, Pete, is there, you know, is there right to be some element of concern around Mo? No. <laughs> you know, <just> carry on. <laughs> nice but, yeah. and simple. Yeah. No, I just think, you know, he, he's come back from a, a traumatic experience and, and, and I, you know, that's going to live with him forever. Like, you can't forget it. It's like us after we lost Kiev or lost the league and I'm just playing two weeks later and as if nothing's happened, you can't <laughs> disregard that. And, you know, he came back, he scored goals and admittedly he hasn't, he hasn't called from open play in his last four games or, or five games or something. But, you know, he had so much of that team, and as he said, if, if the post are a little bit thin and he bags two and we're saying he's the world's best, it's just fine margins again, like with Van Dijk, it's the same with Salah, when you get to be that good of a player, you're expecting a goal and an assist at least every single game, so that's where he is in his career, and he's got to live with that pressure, but I think you can deal with having him on a slight off day when you've got Mane, Diaz, Firmino, Jota, all also helping him, so it's not like we're in dire straits and all relying on him because we're still doing well and you know we're through the round of the Champions League, still in the FA Cup, challenging the league. So you know, imagine when Salad maybe does click from an eight out of ten to a nine out of ten, where we're going to be again. So nothing to worry about too much. He's still scoring goals, and you know those stats there show you. You know he's a goal every other game or a goal involvement every other game is, is more than good enough for the forwards, and as long as he's keeping those numbers for this crucial part of the season then there's no reason why we shouldn't be winning as much as we can I mean Steve where, where do you stand on this because I mean as, as Pete's rightly note, you noted if we if he'd scored the two goals I think everyone would be absolutely raving about Mo would be back in discussions about him being the world's best player but you know does it because Pete's mentioned there about sort of the emotional toll of the African Cup of Nations final um, there's also the physical toll and then you know it's just is it just plain bad luck or you know would you say is it is he just a victim of his own exceptional standards that he's set this season 
you said uh, very, very close to saying what I was about to say that he's a victim of his own success. Um, so you know, I, I agree with that point there. That the level that he sets for himself, you know, people like Pete said, people expect Salah to score goals, and you know, we, we've we've both said there as well that if the post was just a little bit, you know, or even if a gust of wind hits the ball a little bit differently, that post goes in. Salah scores a goal. We're not even. Not even really having this discussion, to be honest. We're probably, like you say, talking about him being you know, the best footballer in the world, which, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in saying that. I do think at the minute he is the best football player in the world. Obviously, Mbappe's on everyone's lips at the minute because of how, how well he played against Real Madrid despite the loss. But, you know, Salah, Salah's the best player in the world at the minute. He is. Um, by his standards, yeah, he's not playing at the level that, you know, he expects of himself and that we expect of him. But, like, like Pete said there, he's, he's playing 8 out of 10. You know, uh, the second that he hits these 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10s, we'll be flying. You know, at the minute, we're still we're still succeeding. We, we've won the League Cup. Um, we're in the FA Cup, still fighting for it. We're still fighting for the Champions League. We're still fighting for the title. Again, Pete t- t- uh, touched on this before. We're still going for these things. And, you know, Mane's playing well at the minute, so he's sort of carrying that sort of side of things where, you know, earlier in the season, it was the other way around. And that's the joy of having these two sorts of world-class footballers on either wing and then even the depth of Diaz and Jota. And for me now, again, I'm just kind of repeating what Pete said, to be honest. <laughs> but we, we do have sort of, you know, that depth there. And we haven't really got to rely on on, on Mo quite as much in, in that respect. But yeah, there's, there's absolutely no concern. He, he is just a victim of his own success. It's it's similar to what, you know, what Pete said about Van Dijk um, in terms of, you know, Van Dijk sort of lets something go and then everyone looks at it and goes, my good God, look at this. You know, Van Dijk is starting to decline and it's like, nah, it's just he let the player go because he didn't expect it to put it right in the top corner, which not many players are going to slap the ball from, you know, 30 plus yards into the top corner and Anfield on a Champions League night. It doesn't happen that much, not even for our own players. So for Lataro to just do that, you don't expect it and, it's hard to critique players like Van Dijk and Salah because, you know, in the in their position, I think they're the two best in the world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not concerned in the slightest. Brilliant situation to be in. I feel like we, we could devote a whole podcast to gushing about the, the sheer quality in our forward line. I mean, one factor that we're perhaps sort of not considering um, is, of course, the unresolved contract situation you know, as many are aware, his current terms are still set to expire in the summer of 2023, uh, which is steering closer and closer. Um, we were initially going to talk about uh, Fabrizio Romano's sort of quote on the matter. Um, but of course, you know, I mean, I'll read it out for you now. He said, it's March, it's getting dangerous, but it's the same point I'm told that Liverpool are still negotiating with Mo Salah. So they still feel the situation is under control. Then let's see. Jurgen Klopp did address this um, at the time um, in his presser and he said, uh, Mo definitely expects us to be ambitious. We are. Says the deal signing helped. We cannot do much more, but it's a decision between Mo pretty much. Uh, the club did what they can. Nothing has happened further. We just have to wait for it. No rush. All fine. So that, you know, it, it all seems to be developing into sort of that sort of situation where you go, okay, well, it seems to be going, seems to be moving forward. No problems. And then, of course, his agent, Rami Abbasissa, decided to jump in with another somewhat cryptic tweet. He just went for the emojis this time, about eight or nine laughing face uh, emojis, presumably aimed at Klopp's comments. Uh, I mean, Pete, it, it, does this seem to indicate that the discussions aren't going very well? 
I just seemed to indicate I want to punch his agent in the face. That's what I felt like when he did that story, though. The cheek of him trying to pull out on the club and, and what Klopp's saying. You know, I, I don't, we all know what agents do in football and they do twist it and make the money for themselves. They're not in it for probably the, the personal claim. They're, they'd be much happier if the player was moving every summer because they get the big payout. So I think you can't ignore that. But, you know, Mo has enough power to say, surely, to say, yeah, I just want to sign it. So you can't ignore the fact that something hasn't been done. But this this deal, if it comes through or not, it's going to be like groundbreaking for, for Mo and he's going to get more money than probably anyone's ever had at Liverpool. So the longer they wait, the more money we save on doing it. So I still think, you know, there might not be a, a massive rush on our side and we're in a strong position that you, know, you can probably only go to Man City and then had a push maybe by Munich to be able to think that he's at one of the top clubs in the world right now. And we're fortunate to have the best manager, in my opinion, and the best chance of winning as many trophies as possible. So I, I think we can play a power card, which we haven't been able to do for years with the likes of Suarez, Alonso and all the others who end up going out the door. We can say, you know, we're happy to wait. We'll, we'll save that 400, whatever grand a week that he's going to be on and we'll save it for another few months till he finally agrees to sign it. So I'm still confident it'll get done and you know, I always trust what Klopp says. And you know, like he said with the Coutinho thing, he only ever would have left for Barcelona. That was his team. I don't know who Salah's team is. I don't know who that one club who's going to fulfil his aims are other than what he's got now. Surely he just want to win trophies, be loved and be in a good team. And I think that's what he's got right now. So... I still think it'll happen, but you know, just stuff like that from the agent, it does just make you squirm a bit, doesn't it? I just, just hate people like that uh, <laughs> in football after the money. So, yeah, just the less we have to deal and talk about him, the better. And hopefully, just Mo and, and Klopp can sort it between them, and we'll all be happy in whatever it's signed. I mean, you're absolutely right, Pete. We are in that sort of unique situation that we've perhaps. Well, we certainly rarely enjoyed as Liverpool fans in um, over the last sort of decade uh, pre-cop year. Uh, when you can sort of look at Liverpool, look at you know the competition out there and go, well, who realistically can offer you what you want? I mean, because there's a difference in what financially, what what another party can offer and what uh, competitively they can offer. You look at the two big La Liga clubs in Barcelona and Madrid. You know, Madrid are probably going to bring in Mbappe. Uh, Barca struggling financially you know I think you know it'd come down to the likes of City which he isn't going to go to or a Bayern um, but then again you know are Bayern going to put in the money uh, to buy him before his contract runs out um, I, Steve I, I mean it's interesting seeing how Liverpool fans have reacted um, to the issue online and how that's actually evolved uh, since this first became a concern uh, because it seems some have sort of changed their position from you know, concern and anger at the club for not getting this solved sooner to more of a sort of case there are sort of mindset. It, it, you know, it, it seems that some are coming around to the point of view that, well, you know, if we, we, you know, we should draw a line in terms of what we're prepared to offer him. And if he goes, he goes with Liverpool Football Club, we will simply find an, the next best thing who will develop into another world beater. Has your position on the matter similarly changed or or have you the mindset of pay him what you know pay him what he owes what we owe my mindset's uh, been relatively unchanged but I was never really in one camp or the other I don't really think there was another camp at the very beginning I don't think anyone was saying yeah cash in on Salah would have been a strange take um, but yeah I mean I, I was never really firmly one way or the other on it. it it was always a case of like 
if Salah wants to stay, give him whatever he wants because he's the best player in the world. Keep him for as long as we can because Salah, physically speaking, Salah is a specimen and a half. You know, he's going to keep playing until he's in his mid-30s easily and he'll, he'll still be putting up these sort of impressive numbers that we're seeing, admittedly. Obviously, probably he's probably got another two years maybe until he starts to have a little bit of a dip-off. But, I mean, like we've seen with the likes of Lionel Messi and, you know, admittedly, even Cristiano Ronaldo, even you know these athletes that take care of themselves can still keep going when they're playing this at a high level. So, yeah, always want to keep Mo Salah around, always want to keep the best players. You know, it was always the same with Torres and Suarez, you know, never wanted them to go. But that being said, using Suarez and Torres as examples there, should Salah go, we'll be fine. You know, uh, it won't it won't be a good feeling. You know, it won't be nice to see one of the best players we've ever had, if not the best player, you know, that argument could be made. Leave the club. It, w- it would be a shame, especially if he joined uh, a rival, be it, you know, I, I don't imagine it would be in the Premier League, but like, you know, a, a European rival. You, you mentioned Real Madrid. I mean, there's a possibility, some, you know, it's been talked about before in the past. He certainly mentioned his admiration. Um, but at the end of the day, if it comes down to, you know, sitting down and dealing with Rami, who is a weapon and a half, I, I, I've, there's people at the club, I know this, that, you know, and it's not really too hard to actually suss out yourself. But the people at the club do not like dealing with Rami. Um, and you can see why, because he just sort of takes to Twitter and does these things where it's it's like he's reacting to a TV show. And it's like, no, I mean, this this is, your, you know, your client's future you're talking about here. And you sort of, you know, let's assume that he is responding to Klopp in the time and is a little bit suspect. So let's assume that he is responding to Klopp. That's a lot of disrespect. At the end of the day, as good as Mo Salah is, had Mo Salah left Roma and joined another club, he would not have enjoyed the same success as he found with Liverpool. Maybe he'd have joined Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich and he'd have found some success, but he wouldn't have enjoyed the same success. And, you know, we like to think ourselves a little bit different Liverpool fans. I do think that Liverpool fans are a little bit different. I think I think we are a different breed, you know. I think we love a little bit harder when it comes to our team and our players. Not to say that other teams aren't capable of doing that, but I think there's a bit more passion when it comes with, um, with Liverpool. Sometimes people will take the piss out of Liverpool for that reason, but I think that's really part of the identity of the club. And, you know, Firmino's talked about it before, that he feels the love from the fans. There's no doubt that Salah also feels this and you know, the same can go for Mane and Virgil. The players really do feel it. They understand it, the way they interact on social media. So there's no doubt in my mind that you know Salah would like to remain at the club. Um, Rami's playing a bit of an interesting game, but I mean, as Pete touched upon there, all, all Rami really cares about is a, is a payday. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sure he cares about Salah. There's no way the two would work together so closely if, if they didn't care for each other. But at the end of the day, he just wants what's best for his clients and for himself. And hopefully that's Liverpool. But as I say, he's, he seems like he's a bit of a weapon to deal with. Um, certainly, I mean, after all these years, he's taken to social media and reacting like a, like a child online. And it's just, you don't need that. And the club might just go, as, as good as Salah is, Christ, if, if we can get rid of Rami, that might not be the worst thing in the world. But hopefully Salah stays. But yeah. Wouldn't be the end of the world if he left, even though we'd all be pretty glum about it. I mean, that's the thing. Assuming the comments are aimed at Klopp, it, it, it's a, a bit of a, resp- a bizarre response um, to a coach who's personally overseeing his development 
into this world-class talent. And, you know, I just want to touch on quickly, you know, the point you made about the fans. I think it's, you know, it's certainly interesting when you look at the Inter game and he was struggling to get the goals in. Fans were singing his name, you know, showing the love, as you said, you know, it's difficult to see him getting that same level of love, that same level of appreciation, you know, at a club like Real Madrid. You know, you'd almost get the impression if that exact game had happened, and he'd been in Real Madrid colours, you know, he'd been booed by his own fans, uh, which is, I don't think it's really the situation he wants to be in. I think he personally, firstly, I think he thrives off of having that love and that relationship with the fans, um, which I think he'd struggle potentially um, to get anywhere else. Um, interestingly, after the game, you know, he was questioned about the two, uh, the chances he had where he struck the posts and he sort of gone, oh, you know, it's a shame, but uh, maybe the next game. I'll hit three, which is worrying news, of course, for our upcoming opponents at Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, great importers men have been struggling at home at the Annex Stadium. Like, uh, but Jürgen Klopp made it clear, of course, none of us should be expecting an easy ride um, at the South Coast. Uh, so, you know, looking ahead to the tie, uh, we at Empire the Cop Insider spoke to Brighton journalist Charlie Haffenden to get his thoughts on the upcoming visit to the South Coast, is what he had to say. Uh, how you doing, Charlie? Yeah, I'm all good, Farah. How you doing? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad, mate. It's, it's good to have you on here again and for what will be hopefully another sort of exciting game um, at the Amex. Um, I just want to sort of firstly start off with um, Brighton's sort of recent home form because it's been a bit sort of topsy-turvy um, of late. Um, I, I went to the home game against Aston Villa. I actually thought Brighton were on the balance of the better side, um, but you know, sadly, it came down to the chances and Villa took theirs and Brighton didn't seem to have the sort of same luck on their end. With that in mind, I just wanted to firstly get your thoughts on, you know, what, what's the reasoning behind Brighton's uh, variable home form of late? Yeah, of course. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of we got a bit unlucky how Villa scored their opportunities. We didn't. But that's been the case of many weeks now. Um, up until about four weeks ago, we were in the top half of the table. We were looking like one of the best sides in the Premier League, especially one of the most overperforming. And now it looks a bit average, a bit above average, sorry, but a fairly average season for us. A bit better than what we've done. We've progressed slightly, but it has been a massive drop-off. And that's because the results haven't been good enough. And our home form especially hasn't been at, at what it should be. In the championship, it was a fortress at the Amex. And now, I mean, I don't think sides are too bothered about coming to us because we keep losing on home turf. In 10 home games a season, we've won two, drawn five, and we lost three. Those five draws, easily two or three of those could have easily, could have been wins if we converted our chances. But it's very much the story of last season continuing into this, where we create so much opportunities, we have so much of the ball, but we're not progressive enough, we're not brave enough, and we need to become that in order to progress and actually become that top half side because we're not quite there yet. I just wanted to get your thoughts because I, I, I don't know. It, it seems to be sort of for me personally, sort of down to sort of that sort of goal scorer I mean I know you've got some you know likes of Danny Welbeck and that but you've got this lad that you've bought recently uh, Dennis Undav I'm quite curious about because he seems to be absolutely killing it over in Belgium and I get the impression a lot of Brighton fans are quite excited about him could, could you give us a bit of insight into what you think he'll potentially offer um, in the Premier League? Yeah, of course. I mean, Denis Undav is at uh, Union Saint-Gilois, which is a Belgian top-flight club. They're top of the league, well, last time I checked anyway, but they were only promoted from the second division last season. They're actually owned by the same owner as Brighton, Tony Bloom, who I bumped into, actually, at the game away at Newcastle. It was quite cool. But he owns both clubs, and obviously it's quite interesting that he's dealing with himself, in a sense. But six to seven million pounds, I think it was, 6.5 or something like that. And he's scored 21 goals this season, 
grabbed 10 assists in 29 games. So that's more than one goal involvement every single game. Yes, this isn't the Premier League. This isn't even one of the top five leagues in Europe. But it's still very high quality, very competitive, and he looks like a real good signing. He's very clinical. Just the other day, it was, um, I'm not sure who it was against, but it was 2-2. And in the 88th minute, he struck a half volley from range and it kind of curved right into the top right-hand corner. Immense power. And he kind of seems to have a real edge to him that we haven't really seen at Brighton, apart from the attitude of, I suppose, Neil Mope, where he's silencing fans. It's like he's got a bit of that, but he's also got the clinical nature as well. So I'm very excited about him, but unfortunately he's not here until next season. Tony Bloom, of course, wants them to win the title in Belgium if they can, which would be incredible considering they were only promoted at the end of last season. It would be a proper Leicester story, or maybe even better, considering they've only just gone up, but... I'm very excited about him next season, and I'm hoping he should be able to solve our goal-scoring woes. But even now, fans are still calling for a big-name striker because they haven't really heard of him. But if you look into his stats, he looks like the real deal. I was going to ask, sorry, yeah, just obviously from a Liverpool point of view, we're all um, sad to see Adam Alana go, and obviously you were the, the lucky team of Tottenham. So, like, what importance do you reckon he has on the squad? And you know, because we know what his injury issues are like. Just how how much do you rely on him, and how much can you rely on him? Obviously, in the, the couple of years since he's left Anfield. Yeah, I mean, I really like Adam Lallana. He seems to be a real character in the dressing room. Whenever he's on the pitch, he's that leader in the middle of the park. Who, because you've got the likes of Lewis Dunk at the back, and even Adam Webster's grown into a bit of a leader. Shane Duffy, when he's there as well, in good form, not at the moment, but. Having someone in the midfield who can push, push on and, and push that forward towards the attack is really important. And when he has been fit, we seem to perform a lot better with Adam Lallana in there. Unfortunately, though, especially in the second half of the season so far, he's not really featured. He's not had any consistent game time. I do miss him, but we've got such a competitive space in our midfield. They've got so many names in there. I would have a list up, but there's like probably seven or eight names in there. Eve Pesuma, Jakob Moda have been playing recently, Steven Alzate, Pascal Gross, Alexis McAllister. I could go on, Enoch Mwepu, who we signed in the summer. It's very difficult for him to fit in, especially when we only typically play two midfielders and wingbacks. So, yeah, I'd love, love to see him a bit more, but even when he's not on the field, you can kind of tell in the dressing room, he must have such an impact of his experience. And players at training must look up to him, especially with how much youth we've got. So, although he's not been in the limelight recently, I'm sure he still has an impact behind the scenes. I'll dive in now as well. Um, yeah, looking forward to, obviously, the game coming up. Um, just wondering whether you think Brighton might need to change their approach for Liverpool. Maybe you've noticed that Liverpool have got a weakness somewhere on the pitch. You know, what um, What do Brighton need to do to get a result? Yeah, OK. Well, we've had a ridiculous amount of the ball, as I was saying before, recently. And we've lost the last four games. Yeah, and I'll run through this for you. Despite being at Old Trafford away, one of the hardest places to go, no matter what form they're in, or no matter what jokes are going around them at the moment, you can't deny it. It's a horrible place to go. We had 10 men for 35, 40 minutes in that game, yet we still ended with 50% possession. That's a bit outrageous, isn't it? But we lost that. Burnley at home, we had 69% possession. Villa at home, 67. Newcastle away, 68 but we're not being progressive enough. It looks really impressive on the surface. And we've got one of the most uh, high numbers for passes in the whole league this season. But why does it matter if we're not progressing and being brave of it? So that's what we need to do differently this weekend. I've noticed that Liverpool seem to have quite a high line, which of course has its benefits. You seem to catch players offside all the time. It's quite frustrating to, as a Brighton fan anyway, we got Danny Welbeck running through. He's always got the flag up from the linesman. But if we can try and take that, exploit that on the counter-attack maybe a bit, be a bit more direct rather than going side to side, 
that might be a bit better for us. Have a bit of pace in behind. Use the likes of Tarek Lamptey and Marco Correa on the on the wing backs on the overlap to get in behind. And we're not going to have many opportunities. Of course, we're not. You're one of the best teams in the league, and yourselves on the break are ridiculously good of the pace and uh, talent you've got up there. But yeah, it's just that really. I think exploiting your high line, your high press, trying to win the ball back, and if possible, win that midfield battle. It seems like a bit of an upfield, uh, uphill task considering the quality there, but. We have got the likes of Basuma and Mwepu, who's back as well. So we might be able to do it. Who knows? I mean, you mentioned Liverpool's high line there, and it, it seems to be a, a, a point of intrigue, and, and rightly so, you know, across uh, the fan bases and beyond uh, Liverpool. I mean, sadly, it's been sort of misinterpreted at times. You look at sort of match of the day and they pull up the footage and they'll go, oh, look, uh, they had so-and-so, uh, Burnley was the classic example. So-and-so have had um, X amount of chances on goal. But it's like, well, yes, but, you know, eight of those were offside, courtesy of the offside trap. Um, what sort of weakness do you think Brighton will try to exploit on Liverpool's part? Yeah, I think it, well, to, be fair, to be fair, I've seen a little bit of news. I'm not sure how true it is about COVID cases. I think Jurgen Klopp was mentioning, and I think, wasn't it Virgil van Dijk wasn't even in training? Canate as well, Thiago. And if Canate and uh, van Dijk aren't available, that's certainly a weakness, isn't it? You've still got some fantastic options as backups that I'd happily start at Brighton. But they're not as good as what they normally are, and it might disrupt your back line a bit. So that point I was saying again of trying to break on the counter-attack, win the midfield battles where we can, I think that's where we're going to get our chances. We just need to be more clinical, more brave, as I say, by pushing more players forward. And uh, I think we need to switch to a three at the back again, to be honest, because that allows us to do that more efficiently. We've seen a four at the back a bit more recently because we've had Webster injured, who's still out, by the way. Massive miss. Dan Byrne, of course, went to Newcastle for 13 million. Great bit of business, but has left us a bit wary at the back. We've not been able to play three because we've had to play Shane Duffy. We've had to play Veltman, who's been playing wing back all the time. He's suddenly coming in the middle again. It feels unfamiliar. I don't really mind, though. I want to do that again because we're better with that. I want Potter to switch back to the three. It's how we perform better. The four clearly isn't working because we keep losing matches, no matter what possession stats we have. So, yeah, going back to a three, exploiting with our wing backs and trying to just win those midfield battles to get in behind is what I say. And it makes it easier if the likes of Van Dijk aren't available. You know, in Potter, he's obviously a well-talented manager. He seems to get linked with every job that comes up. What what can he do at Brighton before he, he goes? Or do you reckon he will be someone who's going to go to a top club? And, you know, what is success maybe for Brighton? What is the, the pinnacle of what he can achieve with yourselves? Yeah, I think Graham Potter can go to the very top. Well, maybe not the very top of the likes of Real Madrid or Barcelona or or Bayern Munich, but I think he can definitely take on a or Liverpool. But I think he he could take on a job like Man United or Tottenham or even Chelsea or Arsenal in the fairly near future. If one of those jobs becomes available, I if I was in the board's position, I would definitely take a hit on going going for Graham Potter. It seems a bit of a risk because he's. He's English, he's fairly young, but and he's not the kind of sexy European manager that's won loads of trophies. But what he does do is he progresses football clubs, he completely changes their mentality for the better. And we've seen that with Chris Hewson when he was at ours. He's a club legend, we loved him. We stayed in the Premier League, but we needed some change. We were playing too boring football, it was too negative. Even now, we need to be a little bit more positive in our current form. But on the whole, Potter has transformed that. I think he can probably get us to a top half finish if we can pick up some form again. We've got tough games against yourselves. We've got Tottenham and Man City coming up. Then it comes a lot more favourable. If we can pick up a few more wins, top half seems a lot better. And then if we still got him next year, 
Hopefully we can have Undav coming in, making a difference, bring in some more new faces and maybe even push for European spaces. But I'm trying to stay very grounded here as a journalist and fan, particularly as a fan. I don't want to get too ahead of myself like a lot of people have. I'm very aware the competition is very high for getting any European spot, even the Conference League. So I'd be happy with a top half finish. And I do think Potter has a potential to take us further. One last one on another uh, lad who has been sort of linked with a potential exit. I mean, we asked you about him last time, of course, uh, you, Basuma, who's been linked with the likes of Liverpool, um, Arsenal, tentatively with other Premier League outfits. Um, just want to sort of get your thoughts on what the latest was on his future. And, and if you sort of still, can you sort of see him leaving this summer? I can definitely see him leaving this summer. The reason being, he'll then have 12 months left in his contract and we're not going to let him go for free, I don't think. He has such an impact on our team. When he plays, we seem to do a lot better than when he doesn't. But in the last few games, apart from the Tottenham one away in the FA Cup, had an exceptional performance in that one. Apart from that, since Africa and Cup of Nations, he's just not been the same player. I'm not sure if it's because he wasn't able to get a move away in January. We rejected a £35 million bid from Aston Villa. There are lots of other clubs interested, like yourselves, Arsenal. I think even Manchester United were looking at him. Maybe he's getting a little bit flustered and thinking, oh, why didn't you let me go? But I, I think he's more of a professional than that. He showed such a desire for us and he's always been so good of the fans. It's surely not that. He might just be having a dip in form. Um, in terms of the development of the transfer, I don't think there really has been much. I think he's been told to focus on the rest of this season. Hopefully he can get into better form. Uh, he was dropped away at Newcastle on the weekends. Didn't even make an appearance off the bench, unfortunately. I was calling for him in the stands. I was saying, come on, get on the pitch, Basumi. You need to change the game here. But Potter didn't bring him on. Uh, and that's probably a punishment for his poor form and his poor attitude because he's, he's looked a little bit uninterested on the pitch which is definitely not what you want to see from one of your key players so I think the interest might cool actually if he continues what he's doing and um, he needs to certainly get better but I, th I think he probably will go in the summer well as we say you know the home form has been variable but I think you know every time we come up against Brighton you, you always do give us a very good game what I have whatever happens beyond this one we certainly wish you all um, the best of luck with the rest of your season uh, but thanks again for coming on Charlie no worries appreciate it and we are back. I have with me here Steve Carson and Peter Kenny-Jones. I'm your host, of course, Farrell Keeling. Uh, some very interesting comments there uh, from Charlie, particularly about uh, reverting back to a back three, uh, which is what uh, Charlie believes was their most sort of successful formation at the back line. Uh, it, it seems to me, certainly, I, I mean, looking back at sort of prior meetings, we, we absolutely shouldn't be underestimating uh, what Brighton uh, can offer and they'll obviously be desperate to change their home form. But Pete, how do you sort of see Klopp setting up for this? Uh, do, you, do you reckon there'll be a lot of changes or is it going to be pretty much a full strength Liverpool side? Well, obviously he mentioned that there's some COVID issues, which again, they've said, no, I haven't fully revealed who it is. So it could be a, a change centre-back partnership because we don't know obviously still who's got it and who missed out on, on training and, and for what reason. But, you know, I, we can't, as I said last week, you know, copy and paste this answer. It's just we can't afford to lose any game now to the end of the season. Obviously, that Inter Milan one was probably the best game we could possibly lose and, and still manage to get through, and we did it. So it's just about keeping the performance up and keeping the squad happy. So, you know, it's probably going to be a stronger defence and keepers he can put out. As we said, we don't know that's what that's going to be because of the, the COVID issues that we, we may have or may not have. Um, 
midfield again. I, I don't see Thiago starting after he's just come back from injury and started the other day. Um, you'd think it'd be Fabinho and Hendo still, and just pick one or then maybe Keita. He's been doing well, and then the, the front today, you guarantee Mo Long because he's you know he's got he's promised us three goals, so he's got to be starting, and then it's going to be probably. Um, Diaz and Mane I'd expect I've seen Jota be pushing back for the place um, Diaz has been very good but maybe it might be time to give him a little rest or shake it up but it's um, yeah it, it's not going to be a weak one I think he's going to go strong I mean we've got some important games coming up and that, that Arsenal one's not going to be easy is it and then the FA Cup we, we desperately want to win so it's just hard to, to balance everything but hopefully he just goes as strong as he can and we don't have too many injury or illness issues to put people off I mean, you mentioned the Arsenal game. It, it, you know, it's another another difficult one in, in a season where we can't really afford um, to drop points in the context um, of the title race uh, stage. Do you think he's... I mean, Cop's always gone focused on the next game and only the next game, and then we'll, we'll come to that other game when we come to it. But you know, do you think he will sort of be having one eye on Arsenal and going, oh, I've, I've got to make some changes here. It's, it's quite a, um, a heavy fixture schedule uh, in March. Absolutely. Clough obviously takes the game... No one, one game at a time. Um, but yeah, no doubt he looks forward to the calendar and you know sees what's going on and stuff. Um, I think I think it's it's a bit more of a phrase. He just likes to concentrate on that specific game when it's when it's happened, basically, um, at the end of the day. And that's and that's probably the way to go about it. But yeah, I mean, I don't really think that'll affect his team selection all that much, though. I, I think. I think obviously, as as Pete said there, and as uh, mentioned by Charlie as well, in terms of the mysterious COVID situation, um, if we're missing some players, obviously that's going to shake things up. So, by the sound of things, it seems like the um, the defence in midfield might be getting shaken up a little bit. But you know, as, as as Charlie did say, we do have some you know solid options. Like if if push comes to shove, and it's you know Gomez and Matip, I mean that's two world class centre backs to, to to fall back on, which. I wouldn't be at all upset if those two start the game, but obviously you do want to put your best foot forward and you want to see Virgil van Dijk starting, but we'll have to see how it goes and see how Thiago's doing. And, you know, whatever the rumours are, whatever players might have, whatever, it's obviously speculation and it's probably not good to discuss that kind of thing at the minute. But I would like to see Harvey Elliott get thrown in, into the game, if at all possible. I'd like to see him. Um, He's a bit of a live wire. He's just so exciting to watch. And him and Salah's combination on that sort of right-hand side has just been brilliant to watch of late. And, you know, as you both pointed out, Salah saying that he wants to, you know, get a few goals against their Brighton. I wouldn't put it past him. He doesn't tend to say things and not follow through. So, I mean, I wouldn't... Uh, he'll have an extra bit of an impetus to go and go get himself a goal against Brighton. So I'd be a bit worried if I were them. Um... I don't know what the fitness situation is with Roberto Firmino. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him come into the fold, if at all possible. Um, I'm not up to date on, on the injury news at the minute, but if he's able to play, I'd like to see Firmino, because I think it is going to be a bit of a tougher game in terms of possession. Uh, Charlie touched upon it that um, despite losing at Old Trafford, you know, they did well in possession. So I think they'll do the same against us. Mind you, I do expect us to pretty much dictate the play of the game and be the ones with the lion's share of chances. So... It's we'll have to see how that goes, but yeah, I, I don't think he'll shake up too much in terms of starting 11 where possible. Obviously, illness might affect things, but yeah, you'll look forward to, to fixtures. But I mean, 
you know, at the end of the day, um, like we've said, you can't be dropping points. If you put one of pushing City all the way, if you want to be getting to a point where taking on City, you could potentially leapfrog them. You want to be doing that. Um, so we've got to keep winning as many games as possible and just sort of keep one eye on City and see if they slip up, keep pressure on them, do our thing and then see what they do. I mean, you mentioned potentially starting um, Gomez and Matip if you know, the speculation about the availability of, of Virgil van Dijk. Um, you know, and Ibrahim Conate turns out to be sure they aren't available um, for the Brighton game. But, you know, part of the reason why Liverpool have been so good this season and why there has been sort of genuine discussion and hope around the, the idea of a potential quadruple this season is because of the depth we have available and we're, we're blessed. It's quite the contrast to last season, you know, having the likes of Gomez, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, was the, the accepted partner for, for Virgil van Dijk in our title winning season, you know, far, far from being a bad uh, centre-back you know, option. Certainly we've got Jean Matip too, who, you know, has proven to be superb uh, now that he's put his injury struggles uh, behind him. Uh, but before we all sign off, it's gonna we're getting to that sort of time of the podcast where we want to get uh, some score predictions in. Uh, Pete, I'm going to kick things off with you. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, well, it's at least three because Salah's promised us them. <laughs> and then, um, let's put another one in. I'll say, I think Brighton will probably give us a scare. I think, you know, that it does seem like a bit of a worrying one, but I'll go 4 uh, one this time they're gonna um, it's gonna be tight and then we'll we'll blow them away and then I think their confidence is a bit lower home as uh, as we've discussed. So hopefully we can um, get a few and maybe maybe a few more Salah pens as well just to annoy a few more people. That'd be nice. I'll, I'll take a Salah hat trick. Where, where where do you stand on this? Stay a big score. I think we're gonna get a clean sheet. Um, I think we're gonna shut them out. Um, I, I was looking at their recent results uh, in all competitions and the last uh, the last six games that they've had, you know, they've been shut out on uh, four occasions. And I'm just thinking, you know, if um, if anyone's able to, to to continue that trend for them, obviously, they, you know, they, they've done, they've, uh, they, they've scored in the last game, of course, but um, I can see us shutting them, them out. So, yeah, I think I'll go with three. I'm not going to say Salah's going to get a hat-trick as promised, but I think we're going to get three, and I think I'm going to stick with the shutout. So three now. I was uh, going to follow you there, uh, to be honest. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to I'm going to go between you two, and I'm going to go for a, a four nil. I, I think, uh, judging by their recent sort of home form, I think it, what will hinge on uh, for me personally is, is if there are challenges in the back line. You know how well we do maintain um, our high line. You know those offsides uh, with uh, Gomez. And of course, uh, Jean Matip, uh, but you know both quality centre halves. So yeah, four 0 We're hoping for another uh, big result um, at the Annex, just to keep the pressure on Manchester City in the title race. Uh, for now, we've had Steve Carson, I've had Peter Kenny Jones, and I've been your host, uh, Farrell Keeling. Before we go, of course, Steve. Uh, I mean, you're technically a guest now, which is a a strange prospect to contend with still. Uh, but that does mean we get to give you a little shout out. You know, anything in your your life that you want to share? Any exciting projects that you've got coming up? Um. Wow. Yeah, I am. I'm a guest. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's strange. After you know, spending so long with Empire of the Cop, even though it's been a few months since I, I departed. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's strange to be a guest. I'm obviously. I'm working in a slightly different industry now. Anyone that's that's interested, I'm, I've moved away from football. Uh, so football is now a pure a pleasure of mine. Um, so, you know, I'm, 
I'm not, I'm not in an industry that'll interest anybody, but it's it involves stuff like video games, pinball machines, stuff like this. It's you know nerdy type stuff. So yeah, but no, I mean I've recently started uh, blogging about music on my personal Twitter account, which you can find me. Um, it'll be linked in wherever you're listening to this um, podcast. Uh, you can find me on there. I just I chat about the football a lot. I chat sometimes chat about music and horror films and anything else that just you know interests me. If any of that sounds good to you. Follow me. We can have conversations, probably about football. Uh, I'm, I'm quite agreeable, so I'm always up for a discussion. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm always looking to have conversations with you know anybody, including the Empire lads. So yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, guest, very strange friend of the show. It's, it's unusual. <laughs> Still part of the family in our eyes. Um, yeah, no, everyone will we'll be sure to link that in below. And everyone can have a go have a little gander and a little, a little chat. Stay online. He's always always happy to have a chat. Um, but yeah. Um, also worth having a look at this. We'll be publishing it, of course, as usual on our Substack. And as some of you may have noticed, we've got a YouTube account now. Yes, we've finally done it. We have done it. Uh, we've got a couple of podcasts already up on there, which you can go back and have a little cheeky look at. For now, though, we've been the Rednets. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to Pete. I've been your host. Take care.